Amen. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen. Here's what the Bible says about it. First Peter chapter 1, it says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. And it goes on to describe the trial of your faith. While we may endure a little bit of persecution here now, it says that we're, when we see him, we're going to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. First Peter chapter 1 describes that. First Peter chapter 2 tells us, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Amen. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We are only passing through. This is not our home. We shouldn't get attached to it. And that's why it's called a tabernacle that we need to put off. Because a tabernacle is a tent or other temporary dwelling place. Because we're going to have something in heaven that will be permanent and eternal in the heavens. Remember that this Friday night, when we get together to sing, there's been a specific request made for you to bring songs that pertain to the resurrection, the coming of Jesus Christ, and heaven. We want to sing about heaven and help put our perspective in the right place. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We have dealt with the Corinthian epistles. 1 Corinthians 15 was that 58 verse chapter where Paul dealt with the resurrection exclusively. The resurrection of dead bodies. And then we came to 2 Corinthians 5 where a little bit more was said on that subject. But now we come to 1 Thessalonians 4 and I hope that... You were able to read it last evening. I want you to notice the importance that has been stated in Psalm 49, Psalm 73, what has been stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and what's stated right here about the importance of not being ignorant of these things. Right. We want to know them, but not only do we need to know them, we need to retain them, and we need to talk about them, because we forget this perspective so easily. So we have constant reminders that these things cannot be lost from our memories. If we lose them from our memories, we're not saved by the gospel. But there is a salvation in the gospel dependent on our memories. Look at the first verse, which is verse 13, the first verse of our subject in this fourth chapter. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Paul did not want them to be ignorant concerning dead Christians, those that were asleep. And here we have one of the many occurrences in the Bible where being dead is called sleeping in Jesus. Sleep, Sherry and I, as we were in bed last night, lights out and talking to each other, we were talking about how peaceful and restful and secure and comforting and refreshing it is to be in bed ready to go to sleep. And it's that wonderful freedom from care, noise, obligations, duties, trouble that the bed provides that is used to describe what it means to die when you're a Christian. You get to go to sleep. Let me show you how much it means. Look at Isaiah 57. Hold your, hold your hand there at 1 Thessalonians 4, but I can't 
even though I have this reserved for some other time, let me show you Isaiah 57. Asleep in Jesus is how the Bible describes death. Sleep is wonderful. After a long, hard day, to crawl into good sheets. And thank you for whoever it was that talked me up from 200 thread count sheets to 600. One of these days we may even step beyond that, but a 600 count thread count sheet is so nice on the body. And so rewarding. And so comforting and so restful to stretch and feel your skin. God made it so sensitive to feel that sheet and to be, to make your final stretch and know that you're going to slip off into the land of rest and peace. The Bible describes death that way. And we ought to believe that. All that goes in the cemetery is the body, but even though it's only the body and though the body is going to dissolve, the Bible still describes it as sleeping because the Lord's going to wake us up in our bodies and bring our bodies up to meet our soul and our spirit. That's what a funeral is. It's putting a friend to sleep. Doesn't sound good, but you know what I mean. Look at Isaiah 57, the first two verses. The righteous perisheth. That is, a good man dies. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away. Another description of a good man dying. None considering... When a good man dies, especially when he dies early, you ought to consider something. That the righteous is being taken away from the evil to come. Amen. When a Christian who's lived a fruitful Christian life dies early, no one lays it to heart what's really taking place. There's two things taking place. The first thing is in verse 1. The second thing is in verse 2. What's in verse 1 is... That righteous man is being saved from the trouble that's coming that only God can see. Josiah was such a case. Josiah was one of the top three or four kings of Israel, Judah. But the Lord, remember, he's the one that found the word of God in the house of God when he was renovating the temple. And they brought the word of God to him. He had it read. He tore his garments. He repented in sackcloth and ashes. He knew that God's judgment was going to fall on Judah. And the Lord saw that and sent a message to him, though I am going to bring the judgment that you read about from the book of Deuteronomy, you're not going to have to go through it. And so he died on the battlefield early. But it was a blessing. And the Bible tells us it was a blessing. And you can go to 2 Kings 20, 22 or a verse like that, and you'll find it there. That the Lord took him away from trouble that was coming. So it's a blessing to die. According to verse 1. Well, what's the next blessing? It's in verse 2. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds. Each one walking in his uprightness. And this is what I was telling Sherry last night in bed. I was saying, this is how the Bible describes death. Even when it's talking about, you know, our bodies in a sense, it says asleep in Jesus. But our spirits go into rest. They go into peace. They get to walk in their uprightness and they get to go to bed. This is how the Bible describes death. We do not need to fear death. We can always be confident about it. And we want to build our confidence now, not at the hour of our death, when we may have fewer faculties and be under a greater physical burden than we are now. Right now, let's get our faith established and built on a solid foundation 
that death is just a departure to go to a better place. And that our bodies are going to be saved as well, but to be absent from our body, the minute we go flatline on the heart monitor is the moment our spirit's in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But never forget Isaiah 57. When the good die young, there is a Bible explanation for it. They're taken away from trouble to come, and they get to go to their rest and peace, and they get to go to bed earlier. Now, you're not really in bed in heaven. There's more to do in heaven than that. But it's described like a bed because a bed here is when we get to end our day's troubling activities and rest. And you know, you get to walk in your uprightness there. Do you know why? Because your sin nature is gone. Amen. Praise the Lord. Right. Now, you've never gone to bed with 600 count thread, uh, thread count sheets without a sin nature. That's right. Right. Heaven is really good. Amen. And when the righteous die early, they're going to a very good place for a very good life, and they're being saved from trouble to come. Amen. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul and the Holy Spirit do not want us ignorant of these facts. We want these things ingrained in our minds and established in our hearts so that we believe them and think on them always. That when we hear about death or we think about death or someone does die or when we're told we're going to die, that we're established already on what the Word of God has to say about it. Because if we're ignorant of these things concerning those that have died then we can end up sorrowing like others which have no hope. The world does a whole lot of sorrowing at funerals many times because they don't have hope and know what's going later. When we have a strong believer die in this church, we want to be rejoicing because a strong believer wouldn't want any other kind of funeral, would they? How much are they going to want in praise of themselves? Let's go. Can I hear the word? None. Who are they going to want to have praised? The Lord Jesus Christ. Are they going to want us to be grieving or celebrating that they've gone to heaven? Because they're going to be someplace that the Bible says is far better. So they've already told us how we better react. Of course, we're going to, have, we're going to miss them. The widows missed Dorcas. David missed Jonathan. Men miss those who die that they were close to. But while we're missing them, we're still going to celebrate that that is just their earthly house of this tabernacle, that they have another house that's going to be in heaven, that one changed, that they'll dwell in forever, and that their soul and spirit is in a perfectly wonderful place, and we are going to see them again soon, because God is going to send them with the Lord Jesus Christ when He gathers us up. And we'll to meet them together and be together with the Lord in the air. And it says that all right here, but I'm just getting ahead of myself. It's a wonderful verse, but the Bible does not want us to be ignorant of these things. It doesn't want us to forget them. Where does it say we can forget them? 1 Corinthians 15.2. It's why I'm preaching on this. Because the Bible says if we don't keep them in memory, we end up living a miserable existence as a Christian instead of a happy existence as a Christian. The more we can focus on what comes after this life, the happier we are suffering adversity and affliction in this life. This life always disappoints. You buy a car, you buy a used car. Of course, the seller seldom tells you what's wrong with it. So you try to look at it. 
and find a few things wrong with it. But you can't know what's wrong with it until you pay for it. That's true whether it's a car or a house or whatever. Not until you pay for it do the scales come off your eyes and you can realize that you bought something with flaws. But there's nothing you can buy in this world that doesn't have flaws. Because this life isn't going to fulfill you. It's not going to keep you happy. Everything's a disappointment. It's all vanity. And getting it is a bunch of vexation of spirit. But not, not over there. And we don't want to be ignorant of these things. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. The Thessalonians, the Thessalonians were a good church. And Paul did not want them to be ignorant. We're going to get together on Friday night. We're going to sing about heaven. We're going to do that to stir us up five days after right now. Because we want to be stirred up again about it. And we want to encourage each other. I would not have you to be ignorant, brother, concerning them which are asleep. Those Christians that have already died and are in the church cemetery, don't be ignorant about them. That is just their house of this earthly tabernacle that is dissolving because their spirits are in heaven. Don't be ignorant about them. They're living a whole lot better than you are right now. So don't be crying for them like the rest of the world would do. That's what verse 13 means. And you can understand that because it's a simple verse. The world has no hope. We have lots of hope. We know that every one of our brethren that we're going to put below the sod, their spirit is in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ and is coming back. We are talking about the simplest of things from these passages of Scripture. I know that. These are the simplest of the Bible truths. But these are some of the most fantastic pieces of information that have ever been heard on this planet. The world knows nothing of the events that are right here in these verses that are coming up. We, we have knowledge about cemeteries that the world does not have. They may understand how many inches they need to dig deep and how many inches of concrete the vault ought to have and how many inches between this burial plot and that burial plot and how much they pay in taxes every year and how much it costs to maintain it with lawn mowing and weed eaters. That's, that's as deep as they can get. We know that that is only the outer body, the house, the tabernacle of a soul and spirit that is in heaven for all believers. Right. We also know that we have a brother. He's, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is unlimited in power. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath independent immortality. And he's coming again to raise every believer out of that cemetery to a life everlasting with him. We know all that. We know how that transaction was paid for. We know how certain it is. We know that God swore with an oath that he would certainly bring it to pass. We know where Abraham is. We know why it's called Abraham's bosom. And we know why some early Negroes in this country came up with a spiritual name. Swing low, sweet chariot. Because they're able to read how Elijah went to heaven. They're able to read how Lazarus, the poor beggar that was at the rich man's gate, went to heaven. When you're in the hospital and you could die... There's an angel there. Right, Mary? Right, Rebecca? There's an angel. The angel of the Lord has been sent there to protect them that fear Him. There was an assembly that day in heaven where the Lord hands out the assignments and says, who's going to take care of Mary today when she has a seizure in her bathroom 
Let her brush her cheek against the counter as she falls toward the floor, but don't let her be hurt. Let it be so slight that when she shows up at church on Sunday, nobody can see the mark. Just a few hours later. And one angel raises his hand and says, I'll do it such and such a way. Uh, anybody else, any other angel have an idea? I'll do it this way. I like that. Go and prosper. If you don't believe this, you don't have faith. And you might as well tear up the Bible. I believe this totally. He is the captain of the Lord's hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. And the host is the army of heaven. And he charges his angels. And 1 Kings 22 tells me that it occurs exactly as I'm describing it to you. When God wants to accomplish something on earth, angels give ideas. And he says, go and prosper. And when God says, go and prosper, the angel is not going to be in trouble. I had a great time with Frank and Mary. Because we were, we were, we were hearing by faith the laughter of the angel in the room looking at the monitors. All their little squiggly lines, their little electrical impulses, trying to measure poor Mary as to how strong her vital signs were. But we know there was an angel in the room that was going to keep her. And you know what? Some morning there's going to be this decision. Who wants to go get Mary? I will. You know my chariot's better than so-and-so's over here. And so instead, there's a chariot in that room. Or any one of, or any one of us. And so we go for a chariot ride. Elijah went for a chariot ride. And Elisha got to see it. The 180-degree the U-turn that that chariot took caused Elijah's mantle to fall off to the ground. Elisha picked that mantle up. He saw Elisha, he saw Elijah leave which was evidence that he was going to get twice the spirit of Elijah. He picked up that mantle. You could see the glowing face. Elisha, oh yes. Because he comes back to the Jordan River, and he's holding that mantle, and he knows what Elijah had just told him. If you see me leave, you'll have twice my spirit. He smacks the water with the mantle and says, Where's the God of Elijah? Boom! Lazarus. Lazarus had to lie there with dogs licking his sores every day while the limo pulled up and the electronic gate opened for the rich man to drive in where he fared sumptuously every day. But I want to tell you something that that rich man never rode in a vehicle like Lazarus rode in. He had angels around him in that chariot that came down and swept him up into Abraham's bosom, the likes of which that rich man never rubbed elbows with someone like that. And they ushered him in. They were his personal bodyguards. They ushered him into the presence of Almighty God. That is dying. If we would talk about it more, we'd get excited about it. Please don't take me the wrong way. And I'm about to say something that could easily be taken the wrong way. You know, if you read enough of this, you could drink the red Kool-Aid. But we're not going to do that. Because the Lord's left us here for a purpose. Jim Jones, Guyana. Go home and Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about, you youngsters that are so young. The more you think about this, it's wonderful. So you want to fear the Lord. You want to love the Lord. You want to, you want to even learn about the angels of the Lord that the Bible describes. You want to see that it's described as going to bed for your body. And then it's going to bed for your soul. 
because you're with the Lord. We don't want to be ignorant of these things. They can, they can change your life. Fear. Every day there's an assembly for your life. You were that big around. You could have passed. You could have passed through my ring when your heart started beating. Who made it beat? The blessed God of heaven. Do you think he can keep it beating now when you're scared? How much, how much help did you give him when you were that big? The blessed God of heaven. Amen. He sends his angels. He's overseen our conception. He's overseen our gestation. He's overseen our birth into this world. And he's seen us through a whole bunch of trouble. Listen, he's seen you through what you've eaten. Your poor heart sometimes is screaming for relief. Just remember, when I raise my hand like this in a situation where there's fear, there was an assembly in heaven. And God said, who will go and take care of each one of us individually by name? Did you know that it says that? Who will get Ahab to battle? One spoke on this manner. One spoke on another matter. And the Lord took number three. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Go and prosper. I believe that with all my heart. I was taught Psalm 34 and verse 7 about the angel of the Lord when I was a little four and five year old having nightmares at night. My mother would come in and read Psalm 34, 7 to me and tell me that over in the corner of my little dinky bedroom where my brother was sharing it with me, that the angel of the Lord was camped over there. Jonathan, can you see him? No. Yeah, Paul was glad because I kept him awake at night howling from my nightmares. I love the story. I'll never be too old for that. Because you know what? I'm going to need that angel of the Lord a whole lot more in a day that's coming. What was he going to steal out of my bedroom? Rusty toys? I, I love the Lord. He sent all this to comfort us. Do you know what it says in verse 18? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And if I've comforted just a little bit, let's comfort each other. Let's comfort each other on Friday night. Let's talk about these things. Let's rejoice in them. Go read 1 Kings 22 and realize that He is the Lord of hosts. He's not going to let anything happen to you. Are you kidding? And listen, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I don't care. Death. Death is the last enemy to be defeated. We would say death is the biggest enemy to be defeated. Though the justice of God is a whole lot bigger than death. But let's just say death is the biggest enemy to be defeated. If God has already defeated death and abolished it from any penal penalty against you. And has secured eternal life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think he can get you through this next week of work? Do you think he can help your marriage? Do you think he can help you train your children? Oh, yes! If he's done that for us, surely these smaller things are nothing for him. Let's just rejoice in what he's done. Amen. Christians have been joyful people. Right. They could gladly go to the stake and sing while they were being burned. Fire is not an easy way to go. Give me a bullet through the brain, but not a fire. But they could sing, sing, because they knew what was coming. It was worth a few minutes. 
or a few hours, in some cases when they used green wood, hours before they would expire. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. God isn't going to lose those that are already in the church cemetery. They're asleep in Jesus. Do you know what it's all predicated on? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you understand from this verse, it's exactly what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 15. Do you remember how he took up a refutation of their heresy that there was no resurrection of the dead? Do you remember how he started? He started out with a history of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You people are wrong because Jesus rose from the dead. You're saying there is no resurrection from the dead, but Jesus rose from the dead. I'm a witness of Him risen. Peter was a witness. James was a witness. 500 brethren above at one time. Do you remember that? That's, that's the foundation of our faith. Jesus rose from the dead, and He didn't have to come and die for Himself. He came and died for us. Therefore, if He rose from the dead, we're going to rise. Right. And anybody in the church cemetery is going to rise. That's why it says in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so in the very same way, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Every one of those Christians in a cemetery anywhere of any kind are going to be raised from the dead by the power of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's all predicated on something that is absolutely certain and upon which we profess in this church. And if you want a fundamental of the faith, it's that Jesus died and rose again. Amen. And we believe that. And we will not let that be corrupted or modified in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't a spiritual apparition. It wasn't a spirit. It was bodily resurrection. Amen. So we come to the next verse. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, it could not be known any other way. I love this in light of Titus chapter 1 that I began with at 9 o'clock this morning. That God hath manifested His word through preaching. So you're getting God's word. What is God's word? His promise of eternal life. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, I'm sorry that sometimes English words change their meaning. The word prevent to us means to hinder or to stop something from happening. And it's not, it does not mean that in this verse at all. If you were to go get a concordance and look up the word prevent in your King James Bible, you wouldn't need a dictionary definition. But to prevent means to precede or to go beforehand. And so we go back and let's read the verse with the word precede and there is a synonym for it. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. If we're still alive when Jesus comes back, we're not going to meet Him before those in the cemetery meet Him. The Lord wants us to have such confidence about every believer that we bury that they're going to get to the Lord first. They're going to be raised first to give us greater comfort that God has such an eye and such a heart for those that are in the cemetery, we don't have to worry about them. If there's anybody we ought to worry about, it's ourselves, because they're going to go first. But we don't have to worry about ourselves either. I hope you understand the point I'm making. You say, why don't we start a new King James Bible and change the word prevent to, to say precede? No way! I want skeptics to be able to read that verse and not be able to figure it out. 
It thrills me when I read a verse like that and hope that they're reading it with the word prevent in its modern sense. Thrills me. All you have to do is get a concordance and compare the word prevent in this book and let compare spiritual with spiritual and you know what the word prevent means. It means to proceed or go beforehand. The Lord Jesus Christ is so committed to dead Christian bodies that He's going to raise them. I have said this a hundred times before. Jesus died for us body, soul, and spirit. When we die, the soul and the spirit go to be with the Lord. The body is here, but He is coming back for that body. That is why the Holy Spirit is inhabiting that body right now. The Holy Spirit is in our bodies. It, It is His temple. The temple of the Holy Ghost. And we should be thankful for that. And so when we lay a believer to rest in the ground, we can say this and believe this by the word of the Lord. Paul did not get this from a seminary. Paul didn't dream this up in a monastery. Paul got this from the Lord Jesus Christ. By direct revelation of Him. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, he would say, For I delivered unto you that which I also received. I'm just a middleman. The truth came from God, and I gave it to you. And that's what we have here. We wouldn't know this otherwise. We wouldn't know the order. But you know what? The Lord wants you to know the order so that you won't worry about your buried friends that were believers. We don't care about your buried friends that weren't believers. They shouldn't have been your friends. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. How's it going to happen? Paul, can you give us a few details? Yes, he will. So here they are. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The Lord Jesus Christ in body is going to appear in our atmosphere. He was once on our earth and levitated into our atmosphere. And the eleven apostles stood around him staring up into heaven as he went up into a cloud and disappeared from their sight. And as they stood there staring up, according to Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, angels appeared and said, Ye men of Galilee, what are you looking for up there? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go. Now that is why when we get to Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 24, and it says that the Lord Jesus Christ will come with His angels on that generation, that we can understand that something took place back then where He wasn't here physically, not in His body. But He came with His angels and He came with the Roman armies and He executed judgment upon the nation of Israel. No problem for us whatsoever. Do you know what the sign of the Son of Man in heaven was? It was an eagle being gathered to the carcass of the Jewish nation. Do you know what the eagle was? It was the Roman armies plucking the last little bit of life out of that dead corpse. Do you know why it was a dead corpse? Because God had left that nation so that Jesus could say, Your house is left unto you desolate. He wasn't no longer a part of it. He was no longer any part of it. But this is different. This is why we're not full preterists. And if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, that's really okay. But if you know what preterist means, we are not full preterists. Full preterists believe that the second coming of Jesus Christ occurred in 70 A.D. That the resurrection of the dead already occurred because it was only spiritual. The final judgment has already occurred. There's nothing left for planet earth. There's no hope for the believer. This is our hope. He's going to return the same way he left. Bodily. They had just been eating with him 
hugging Him, holding Him, and we're going to see Him in the cloud. Oh, brethren, He is not going to look. He's not going to be in a manger. And He's not going to be on a crucifix. And He's not going to be John Lennon standing at some door. He is going to be glorious when we see Him next. And do you know what it says you're going to do to Him if you love Him? According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, you're going to admire Him. We are going to stand there with our eyes and our mouths gaping open. Unbelievable. Un- you know, you do that at fireworks. You know, anybody that's been to fireworks with me know I do it too. It's, it's pitiful what we can get excited about. You know, we can jump up and shout with somebody with a 90-yard touchdown run. Smile, Jerry. Which is so pitiful, isn't it, brother? When we see the Lord Jesus Christ in the air, it says we're going to admire Him. You can turn one page if you want to read it. It's verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. There's no multiple resurrections. There's no seven-year tribulation. There's no thousand-year millennium. When Jesus Christ comes to burn up all the wicked, which is in verse 9, at the same time He's coming to be glorified in His saints. Verse 10. When He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. If you've believed the Gospel, if, if, the, written, if the written print was enough to cause you to believe about Jesus, wait till you see the real thing. Not words about the real thing. We're going to admire Him and we're going to glorify Him. Oh, what are you going to say? Is a shout going to go up from our lips? Revelation 5 has a few choirs breaking forth. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And it's going to be loud. For the first time in my life, I'm going to have volume that I like. No distortion. To be admired. This is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we would think upon it rightly, everything else fades into oblivion. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. We're going to hear His voice. You know, in one place it's, Come up hither! Yes! Live! Come forth! He said to Lazarus. It's a shout. Don't expect me to whisper. I don't believe peace be still ought to be sung with a whisper either. Because I don't believe the Lord Jesus Christ stood in the deck of His ship and said, Little waves, would you be quiet? Shut up, storm! You're scaring my disciples. And immediately there was a great calm. Peace! Be still. Believe it. He's going to call us out of the grave. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. He's going to move from one place to another with His glorified body. He's going to come with His glorified shout. With the voice of the archangel. And with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's See, it starts out in verse 13. Don't sorrow like other people about those that are in the cemetery. And so all the way through this, it's pointing out the Lord Jesus Christ cares so much about those that have already been buried, He's going to get them first. 
So the first thing you're going to get to see is cemeteries ripped up. That'll be pretty exciting, won't it? Amen. You know, we have, all, we have all these little words come across your television now. Pickens County has a tornado watch. I wonder what they're going to put on it when all the cemeteries get tore up countywide, nationwide, statewide, worldwide. What are they going to put on it? They won't know what to do, will they? But as soon as we hear about it, we don't know how many seconds are in between the two. I don't think there's going to be very much time. There isn't any indication of it. But what would we do? Oh, this is the day. And, and when we... I don't think you'll have to go outside, brother. It'll probably be bright enough for you to know that it's happening without you stepping outside. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Is this specifically in agreement with Acts chapter 1, that as he went up into the clouds and the angel said he's going to come back in the exact same way that we read right here, that we are going to be caught up with all the dead Christians' bodies. He's going to be bringing their spirits back. They are going to get their bodies back right there in the air. We're going to have our bodies changed, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Go find that in some comic book. Go find that in some science fiction novel. Go find that in some university textbook. I don't care if it's the bachelor's, master's, or doctorate level. Go find that kind of information. This is what is coming to the world. Amen. He promised it before the world began. He's wrought us for this self-same purpose. Everything He's done for us is for this end. He elected you before the foundation of the world and wrote your name in the book of life. He assigned the Lord Jesus Christ to make sure it all happens. Then angel will take you in a chariot to heaven. Your spirit, your body will be here. But he wrought everything for this self-same thing. He is excited about this event that's coming. And we ought to be as excited too. Do you know what offense it is when we get excited about the things of this life and are not excited about this? Do you know how offensive that is to him? That's why he calls them enemies of the cross of Christ who mind earthly things. He loves those that love not their lives unto the death. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. I watched the Discovery Channel in the last year or two where they were showing some man testing experimental equipment for the U.S. Army. You know, he strapped, he strapped this little jet engine on his back. Oh, he's bent over with it and they, they press the lever and he, he's shaking. It's so noisy and it elevates him a few feet off the ground. Oh, it's taken us 6,000 years to get to that. You know, the guy's got to have his ears covered up so that he doesn't blow his brains out with the noise. He can hardly direct the thing. There have been people killed testing the dumb equipment. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to speak the word and take us straight into the clouds. The gravity is absolutely nothing for him. He set the law of gravity and he'll override the law of gravity whenever he chooses to do so. Just like he did for himself, he'll do it for all of us. He'll give us a glorified body and he'll take us all the way into heaven. They're so worried about their space station and leaks 
They have to take canned oxygen and make oxygen. We won't need anything like that. This is the glorious truth of God's Word. They don't have anything. They can stack all their textbooks and create a building out of them in size. It's nothing compared to the Word of God. We have fantastic information right here. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to meet Him in the air. Lord! Who's going to run and grab his ankles first? There'll be plenty of room for all of us. We'll admire him in that day and we're going to glorify him. And and then it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ will never leave us again. He once left his disciples. He'll never leave us again. We shall ever be with the Lord. And then it says the most important part for us. I mean, really. The most important part of what we walk out of here with today. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, if we would talk about this more, if we would live like this, it'll change your life. As we get closer to death, it'll change our perspective on death. If we would just keep all of this stuff right before our eyes. This is why I've preached on it. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory. If we let it slip out of our memories, we lose the gospel salvation of knowing this, which gives purpose to everything we do in life, which gives purpose to death, which gives excitement to death, because to die is gain, according to what's on the front of this pulpit, which is from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. This is the word of the Lord to us this week. Can we go out of here and live resurrected lives? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Colossians 3.1 Set your affection on things above. It says a little more than that. It says this. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. How do you know that? By setting your affection on things above. Let's live resurrected lives knowing that the resurrection is coming soon. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.